BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On today's episode, I'm talking with Newsweek's Jamie Burton about some of the great shows that you need to watch on TV next week. Along the way, we'll hear from Bill Hader, Elizabeth Moss, John C. Riley, and two of the breakout stars from HBO's Winning Time, Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes. It's gonna be a fun show. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. If it wasn't already obvious, we are in an era of epic television. Like, we're talking cinema quality television. But with so many options out there and so many places to watch television, like please, no more streaming services. We, we're, we have enough, we've reached our max. But how, how do you choose what to watch? Well, dear listener, that's why I'm here. I recently chatted with Newsweek's Jamie Burton about what to watch on TV next week and what talent like Bill Hader, Elizabeth Moss, and Quincy Isaiah told him about their shows. So in figuring out what to watch, like, the person who's at every single news junket and gets all those, I mean, you get maybe five minutes with a celebrity and this person finds a way to make five minutes into five minutes of magic. It's Jamie Burton from Newsweek. Hello. Oh, very, very kind. No one's ever called me magic before in a, in a <laughs> complimentary way. So thank you very much. Well, I will say, I mean, press junkets for anyone who has never been to a press junket, they are, can be mind numbing because you only get a very certain amount, which is why I don't do them often. I like longer form interviews. I like speaking with people for long times, but a lot of times celebrities don't want to do longer interviews. So they do those five minute press junkets, which can be, I mean, hard, right? To fit everything in in five minutes. Oh yeah. It's kind of like uh, the director yells action and then you have to be really excitable and personable within a five minute window yet there's two hours of waiting around and it's pretty, uh, you're right. It's soul numbing at times. And you know that, that every other, the hundreds of reporters that have come before you have probably asked at least one of the questions you're about to ask. So, you know, oh, yeah. you know, they've answered this question many times. How do I phrase the exact same question, which they've said all day in a slightly different way to perk the celebrity up a bit. Sometimes <laughs> it works. Often it does not. Yeah. Well, you have been at Press Junkets for a lot of great new shows that are on TV. And so when I was shaping, when I, we were talking about doing a What to Watch next week, of course, you know, we had to include some of your interviews. And one of the shows that people are so excited about that's coming back is Bill Hader's Barry. And excited they should be because I've been lucky enough to watch the first, I've seen six episodes of the new season so far. And my God, I love this show so much. It's one of those ones where 
if I wasn't getting paid to do it and I've weaseled my way in there somehow to talk to them for free. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think Barry is spectacular. Bill Hader and Alec Berg, who created it, are phenomenal. And the ensemble cast they've created, they've uh, assembled, you know, standards haven't dropped within season three. It's worth getting excited about. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be this big of a, you know, break. You know, we were like a week or two out before the, when the pandemic hits, we had our first table read for season three. And then the next day we were supposed to do another table read. And it was like, you know what, let's just cancel it just to be safe and give it a week, figure this out. And then uh, I think the next time I saw everybody was a year and a half later. No way. Um, well, that, this isn't what I was going to ask, but since you had the table read pre-pandemic, and I assume a table read after the pandemic then, how did season three change in that time? Did you spruce it up at all? Or did yeah, it remain- yeah. It, I, would, I would say we did a pretty big overhaul on season three because we started writing season four. And then in writing season four, season three changed quite a lot. You know, So it, it kind of was good. I mean, it, it, season three would have been very different if that hadn't happened. I was uh, looking at one of those, you know, top 10 articles online the other day. And um, this was a top 10 list of TV shows with irredeemable characters. And I was very surprised personally to see Barry on that list where someone was classing all the characters in Barry in some way, you know, irredeemable because whilst, you know, they do have their problems, whether they be murderers or narcissists, they are quite likable. How do you see that? Do you think that these characters are redeemable in some way or do you think they're too far gone? Well, that's kind of the big question of season three, you know, is, you know, redemption even a thing, you know? Um, And, um, you know, it's a thing, I think that during the pandemic and even before the pandemic, you know, it's a thing that was kind of swirling around, you know, just as an idea or kind of a thought, you know, from in my head, you know, which was, can you be redeemed? Is forgiveness a thing, you know? because um, these things all have consequences and, you know, so um, I think that was, that, that's kind of the question of the season. Nice. Um, Bill, I will admit you are involved in so many of my favorite TV shows, movies over the last two decades now. And uh, what I get stuck in is a rabbit hole of bloopers on YouTube. I can't, I can't help myself. They're some of my favorite things to watch. Can you please recall what to you was the, the biggest corpsing that you've ever done? Is there a scene that stands out to you as the, the time you, uh, couldn't, you could stop it? I'm the king of that. I don't, I'm such a light touch. We were just talking about this in the SAG panel that all the actors make me laugh. Um, but there was a scene in Superbad that I, can, I literally had to leave and go walk around. I could not get through it. There was a scene was, in Superbad where I was sitting on a bed with McLovin. And I don't know if I could say the line on here, but I had to say a line where I apologized to him and I could not get it out. I think we did 30 takes of it. And then literally like Seth Rogen and people were getting angry. It was like, it was funny. And then it was like, dude, we got to go, come on. You know? And I went and walked around. I went outside the, the stage and just walked around for a minute and just was like, okay, I gotta just calm down. Cause I just could not, I could not do it. I just could not get through it without laughing. I literally watched that yesterday and I know the line and I'll say it because, you know, I don't want to besmirch your <laughs> reputation, but it was, I'm sorry, I blocked your cock. And I can't get out of my head. 
I, sorry, I blocked you. And and I think it was just me saying that. And I'm looking at this little kind of emaciated looking 17 year old nerd. And I'm like this big cop in my uniform and we're sitting on a bed and he was just having, he was just losing his virginity. So he's naked under these sheets and just staring at me. I just ruined his big chance. And I am apologizing to him about something else. And then (laughs) I apologize. I realize what I've done and I'm doing a double apology. And it just, you know, it's like you rehearse these things, you do all this stuff, and then you get objective with it. And when I, I just couldn't get through it, yeah. You know. The other show that's coming is Elizabeth Moss in Shining Girls, which, I mean, Elizabeth Moss is kind of going through a career transition in a lot of ways in that she's still acting, of course. She's still in Shining Girls. But she also is directing more, which is really exciting. Absolutely. she uh, She's most recently taken on a couple of episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. She did three in the la- most recent se- season. Um, and within Shining Girls, which is an Apple TV Plus show, um, there are eight episodes and she is the lead character in all of them, but also directs two of them as well. What is The Shining Girls about? The Shining Girls, it's so hard to describe, I'll be honest. It's uh, <laughs> based on a novel from 2013 by a South African writer. Um, it is a... Let me try and remember how they uh, described it. A metaphysical paranormal murder mystery thing where an unknown assailant played brilliantly by Jamie Bell from my hometown. Um, He murders a load of girls. And each time he does, it somehow changes the reality of Elizabeth Moss's character. And she tries to find out who is murdering these girls, why it's changing her reality. And she has... uh, the help of uh, Wagner Mora, who was um, played Pablo Escobar in Narcos, and he's brilliant in it as well. I spoke to Elizabeth Moss about kind of her career transition, and we also discussed uh, some of the challenges that she's faced throughout her career, throughout her career as well. Great. It sounds like one of those shows that you can't watch while you're on Instagram. You really have to oh, attention. <laughs> 100%. It's uh, also a slow burner. I see that um, you're obviously starring producing and you're also directing a couple of episodes of this as well which is really exciting because i've seen that you know you directed i think three episodes of the most recent series of handmaid's tale too are you making more of a concerted attempt to kind of diversify your career in the industry at the moment so you really trying to push your own uh, capabilities i guess yeah i mean you know i've been acting for 30 something years 33 years and so I started producing like maybe 10 years ago and but more and more producing obviously in the last like five years and it felt like it brought this whole other layer to what I love to do it brought this whole other tidal wave of things that I could think about and talk about and work on and then I feel the same way with directing it kind of just brought this whole new way of looking at a project and opened it up and made it after 33 years more more exciting than it's ever been acting you know like the acting just the acting part of it has been more exciting than it's ever been once when i started directing um so yeah i think it's like for me it's just a way of keeping um exploring the project in an even deeper and more complex way nice um and final question for me because i know my time is running out um I want to open this up to your whole, as you mentioned, 33 acting uh, years. And I reckon the answer might be within Shining Girls. What is your toughest ever day on the set of a film of a TV show? What is the toughest day that you can recall? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, 
Oh my God, I have to think fast because I know they give you like 30 seconds. Um, you can throw uh, away if you want. Actually, there's no way that the toughest day would not be on Handmaid's Tale because um, there's just a lot more episodes to deal with. I think the toughest day on that was uh, one day when we were so lame, but honestly, one day when we were shooting at um, City Hall in Toronto and it was a brutally, brutally, brutally cold day and shows were shutting down that were that were shooting because it was so cold. And um, that was that was a t- that was a tough day. <laughs> That was hard. I'm not I'm not trying to sound like, you know, weak, but it was really cold until he was freezing. <laughs> that was the hardest day. You know what? Good to know. That's authenticity. It's not CGI snow. It's not, you know, fake debris. It's oh, real wow. shit, you know? Oh, it's real snow. It's real snow. Now in Chicago, in Shining Girls thing, it was it was really, really, really hot. So somehow I need to find some sort of middle ground here that I can't seem to find. I need to shoot somewhere in October or something in a nice mild climate, maybe LA. (laughs) The other show that I am actually very excited about because I am, even though I'm not the type of person that would like The Godfather, people look at me and they're like, no, you're a miscongeniality person. You're not a Godfather person. But I am in fact a Godfather person. There is a moment in The Godfather, I think it's The Godfather Part Two, where Al Pacino closes the door on Diane Keaton at the, the Lake Tahoe house or, or wherever the house was. And I can't tell you how many times I have fallen apart. And the fact that she doesn't even cry. The Godfather is amazing. And so Paramount Plus has a show called The Offer that's all about the making of uh, The Godfather films, correct? It's a really interesting story that they've kind of assembled with a brilliant cast too. Um, it's kind of all things have worked out perfectly here because it's, I think essentially it's being made because it's the 50th anniversary of The Godfather being released in 1972. And Godfather diehards will probably know the story, but people like me and potentially you may not know all of the drama that went on behind the scenes of the creation of it. That being uh, no studio wanted to create it, Real life mobsters were genuinely offended that it was going to be created as well. So it's uh, following this one um, brilliant producer at Paramount Pictures, played by Miles Teller, how he had to get everyone on side, assemble the perfect cast, get Francis Ford Coppola involved, and also appease the the um, Italian mobsters who were based in New York at the time. One of the Italian mobsters. Um, we see on screen was the real life figure called Joe Colombo, who was a very prominent uh, Italian American in the 1970s. He's been featured in plenty of recent uh, mafia films, such as the Irishman. Um, And in this series, the offer he's played by Giovanni Ribisi, Giovanni Ribisi of let's say avatar fame of Ted fame of friends fame. You've seen him in everything. One of those faces, you know, Um, I spoke to him. And asked him kind of how he felt about playing a real life mobster. As it turned out, he had a very interesting on set instance where he was confronted by an extra who actually had met Joe Colombo in real life. Oh, wow. You know, I have to say a tidbit about the original Godfather films, which is fantastic and, and kind of speaks to sort of like how real the films were. I read somewhere that in the be- in the horse head scene in the bed. Do you, know, you remember that? Of course, you remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that. It was a real horse head. They wanted to use a dummy, but it didn't look good enough. So Francis Ford Coppola wanted to use a real horse head. So they went to a glue making factory in like in like 
New Jersey or something. Of course, of course, it's going to come from New Jersey. And they <laughs> they got a, a, a head that was going to be used from a horse from the glue. Fa- I know. Yeah, there are a lot of things within the offer which kind of tell you the real story of how Godfather was made. And they asked kind of stranger than fiction. However, apparently, allegedly, it all bloody happened. You don't live in fear of hearing from real life mafia members telling you that you've done it wrong or anything. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that actually happened at one point. There was a guy that, that who uh, was um, uh, on the show and he uh, he had uh, apparently he claimed that he, he uh, was had lived the life and then you know and and i think he had actually been in the same room or had been around joe colombo so he said and and uh and then he was just basically proceeded to tell me how i was just doing it all wrong oh no (laughs) but he was nice (laughs) it wasn't a big deal we actually kind of became friends (laughs) oh wow Uh, well not friends but you know yeah well, do we, I mean, when you find out that there's a man who has met Joe Colombo, then do you start to mine him for information or did you take what he said with a pinch of salt and then do we believe him? Yeah, I guess that's a good question. You know, I, I definitely, you you kind of build um, a foundation for yourself and, and, and when you're preparing or, or I, I was trying to do that um, and I had done all my research, but then at the end of the day, a lot of it oftentimes gets thrown out the window or, or because, you, you know, you have a story to tell and it's, a, and it's a collective effort from the writers and the directors and the other cast members and the editors. Um, and 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 so I think that was that's the main focus. You know, at the end of the day, the, 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 the dialogue is going to be, you know, it's going to say a certain it's going to say what it says. Um, and, and that's that's the story you're telling. But, you know, to that, I, I, I also want to say that, you know, it's a, it's incredible how uh, how many, I, I, you know, the, the things that happened in the making, the, the events and, and what Al Ruddy did to achieve making The Godfather, um, you know, most of that stuff or all of it is 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 true. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of putting it in the context of of, um, a 10-part television show. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So Winning Time is a show that, you know, I, I people had suggested it to me and I was like, I don't know sports. I'm not going to watch a show about basketball. Like I... And, and I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I'm a, I live in the home of the Lakers and winning time is about the history of the Lakers and the sort of the modern history of the Lakers. And uh, they told me to watch it. I put it off. I put it off. I put it off. And then they told me Sally Field was in it. And I was like, OK, fine, I'll watch, which is, of course, <laughs> how I'm going to get sucked into a show about basketball. Uh, but it's a great show. It's yeah. a really good show. John C. Riley is fantastic in it, although I was 
sort of taken aback by his butt shot in the first episode, um, just because I never thought I'd see John C. Riley's butt. And but there are two actors in it, newcomers that are incredible, Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes. Yes, as you mentioned, the two newcomers, Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes, uh, they play Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, respectively. It is amazing how they came to be in this. And for both of them, it's essentially their first television mm-hmm. roles. It's their first on-screen roles. However, you would not be able to tell because they are two standout performers. They are surrounded by Oscar winners, by Emmy winners, by Tony winners. Yeah. They rise above all of them. I dare say they are the most impressive people in this cast. The directors that they had who worked with them really pulled terrific performances out of the, this entire cast. You asked them amazing. You asked them some great questions about how they got there. And Solomon Hughes having previously been a doctor, right? His story, again, is just ridiculous of how he got there. He was a college basketball player in California. I might be wrong. there. I might be in Atlanta. However, he's a college basketball player. Um, He had gone on to become uh, a college professor himself. He's got his PhD. He's a doctor. He's Dr. Solomon Hughes. However, in this, he's just actor Solomon Hughes. He played Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and he is superb in it. Did it take much convincing for someone to say to you, I know you're a doctor, I know you have a PhD, but could you just please be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for a little bit? How did this come about, please? When I got the, when I learned about the casting call, I was... I was just excited to get an opportunity to audition, honestly. Like I, it's a, it's a space that I've really just kept an eye on for a long time. You know, since college, I've always aspired to, to, to creatively express myself in the realm of like TV or film. And so when it came along, like, honestly, I was just so excited to get the opportunity to do an audition. And when I sent the self tape in and they told me they were going to fly me down to LA to do an in-person audition, I was like, just through the roof. And my wife and I like, this is a win. This is when we get to audition. You get to meet Adam McKay. And so, yeah, I mean, in the audition, I just poured it all out there and, you know, and then, you know, obviously that's a very isolated experience. And then to come into this community of these brilliant actors like Jason and Adrian and John and Quincy, et cetera, was it's, yeah, I, I'm, I've, I've used the word surreal. I've overused it, but I, I can't think of anything that really captures what this has felt like. You know, I, I've joked with friends that it felt like somebody slipped something in my drink back in 2019 and I'm on this like, psychedelic journey right now but it's no oh my gosh such an incredible incredible experience quincy i i've uh, i've been talking to a lot of the people um involved in winning time today and each of them have been waxing lyrical about you and solomon because my god you guys didn't have an imdb page before this essentially and here you are absolutely crushing it within winning time i'm sure everyone's been asking you but can you please talk about the process of you finding your way into the show winning time because it was a nationwide search how they somehow found you didn't they yeah yeah um i did have an imdb page it was just blank (laughs) (laughs) but but that's part of it you know it's like uh creating um your your own opportunities and like really trying to speak it and push things into existence before they're there you know and uh investing in yourself and I think one of the things I did was like just moving out here and start getting on actors access and like just started trying to build videos that I could start selling myself to like these agencies and managers. I was fortunate enough to, to book an agent through actors access and then um, just going to auditions, having her send me on stuff and I didn't book anything. And then this comes along. And I booked 
the biggest role of a lifetime. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's um, it's one of them things where it's like everything just kind of lined up like how they were supposed to, supposed to for my career, and it ended up paying off. You know, um, I know not not many people have been able to meet who actually they play in real life. I'm guessing you haven't been able to meet Magic yet. No, no. Um, what are you anticipating from his reaction? Are you hoping that this does lead to a meeting between you two? Um, I just hope he feels um, the love and admiration and uh, respect that I have for him and, and all that went into this, in the hard work that went into this role and to, like really try and play a full human being and really uh, just... Uh, to be an icon, you know, like I see him as an icon, but I want, and I think most people see him as an icon, but to be able to play him at 20 and just really make it real and authentic. So I just hope that, you know, that comes across. Um, John, within winning time, obviously on the surface, on the surface, it's a story about basketball, but I've seen five episodes now and it's so much deeper than that. It's, it's, fantastic how much range this series has um to you what's what kind of themes are sticking out to you within the series because it kind of covers a lot of ground doesn't it well i haven't seen it uh, oh. I'm watching it with the rest of the audience as it comes out because i had such a wonderful experience making it it was so intense and emotional and uh, required everything i had in me to pull this off um so i just wasn't in a hurry to like see another version of it than the version that exists in my heart you know well one thing you didn't ask them which i'm a little upset about is were they intimidated by sally field because that <laughs> that would have been my lead-in question actually. i i was intimidated by sally field i'll tell you that much <laughs> i'm sure well great so i mean are you watching any other shows right now that you're obsessed with jamie oh what can't i get enough of i'll be honest with all of these tv shows that i'm covering professionally and personally i am watching a lot of these shows and enjoying them um i will occasionally sit down and enjoy guilty pleasures of bridgerton with my girlfriend oh i'll be i'll be doing the thing where she's watching it and i'm pretending to look at my phone but you know peeking up every now and then just to uh just to make sure i follow the plot too yeah i'm pulled in yeah (laughs) bridgerton steamy um, I am my the show that I'm watching that I, I the documentary that I recently watched that I'm obsessed with, which is a British one is I'm blanking on the name of the Jimmy can fix it one on Netflix. Oh, dearie me. Yes. So interesting thing about that whole documentary. It's on Netflix now and it is a, a brilliantly put together documentary. However, about, over here, it's name? still Jimmy Jimmy Savile. Jimmy Savile. Yes. About Jimmy Savile and the, the uh, sexual assault allegations against him. Oh, no, no, no. The, you know, we, don't have to, yeah. we don't have to, you know, tiptoe around it. Uh, it all came out when he died around here um, in quite recent history. And it's been, uh, it's a case of so much went on. So much was brushed under the carpet. Yeah. There's been so many investigations into what happened that it's kind of exhausting as a nation. We are all a little bit ashamed that this man was able to do what he did for so long. Years. 50 some years on television but it's a fantastic documentary it's like i think it's a two or three episodes i forget but it's so i was sucked in i watched it on a saturday morning i thought it would be just like a i would learn something and i didn't know anything about it well i knew i knew a sort of about it but then oh it ruined my day 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is heavy. However, a lot of Netflix documentaries are, and it's one of those true crime things. Where like this is so depressing. However, I can't stop watching it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm about to start. I'm getting on a plane later, and I'm going to start the one on John Wayne Gacy. Which, of course, you know, I'm I'm just I'm all kinds of happy TV here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, try and balance that out if you can. I guess I'll throw in a Bridgerton. Jamie, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'll tell you one show that I can't get enough of right now, Julia on HBO Max. It's about Julia Child's rise in fame as a TV cook, and it's just incredible. And I'm going to say something controversial, but I stand by this statement. Sarah Lancashire, who plays Julia Child in the show Julia, is better than Meryl Streep in Julia Julia. I, I know, I know it's shocking to hear me say that because I am the president of the Meryl Streep fan club, but... I believe it is fully true, and I must give credit where credit is due. She is so, so good as Julia Child and deserves every single award that I'm sure she will get. Also, side note, if you're in for an amazing read, you should check out Julia Child's memoir, My Life in France. It's perhaps the best memoir I have ever read. It's so sweet. It's just wonderful. What are you watching? I really want to know. You should let me know on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Scott on everything and tag me and let me know what you're watching. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, leave a little rating and review and share it on social media because that always helps. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. 